0: From Relay FM, this is Upgrade, episode 353. And today's show is brought to you by Squarespace, DoorDash, and Uni Pizza Ovens. My name is Mike Hurley, and I'm joined by the one and only Jason Snell. Hi, Jason Snell. Hi, Mike Hurley. How are you? I'm fine, my friend. Big show today. Lots of stuff happening, lots of stuff going on. Mm-hmm. But we must stick to format and begin with a hashtag Snow Talk question. And this one comes from Stitch, and Stitch asks, Jason, how many apps are currently installed on your phone? And do you think that it is more or less than Mike's number?
1: Um, I can tell you the answer, but even before I looked, because I, I really don't know, I'm going to assume that there's more apps on your phone, because that seems like something you would do, okay. is have more apps than me. If people
0: want to find this out for themselves... Rather than g- counting every app, which could take a long time, you go to Settings, General, and About, and there's a bunch of information there. I actually thought it might be fun to compare some of these stats anyway. Uh, but how many applications do you have installed on your phone, Jason Snow?
1: 186. Yes, okay. <laughs>
0: 408. Uh-huh. I don't know why I have 408 uh, apps on uh, my
1: phone. I don't, I don't uh, know why I have 186 apps, but, but the fact that you have more than twice as many as me, that part. I do understand. You're a, you're you're a little more free with the, mm-hmm. free and easy with the, the apps also that you you do a podcast with Federico, so he's feeding you apps all That's the time. True. I just let, the, he's yeah, I the let it ride, baby. Of apps. Um do you have any of the
0: app offloading stuff turned on?
1: I don't think so. I don't okay. know. Yeah, I, no, don't, I don't I
0: honestly don't know. Don't do that. Okay, so let's look at some other stuff then. How many songs do you have on your phone? 892. Okay, I have 746. I did come to realize a couple of days ago, I was trying to listen to some music, and I went into an area that had no uh, cell coverage, and I realized that I hadn't downloaded a bunch of music onto this phone, because I got this phone during COVID, and I usually only need to download music when I'm like on planes and stuff. This also is one of the things that I really hate, that you can't make apple music download a bunch of songs and then always download those songs when you get an x phone you have to do it manually it clears it every time i hate that yeah videos what are these i don't know i assume it's every kind of video right like i'm assuming it's more the videos that you've taken with your phone but maybe also if you have stuff in the tv
1: app That, that must be it that must be it it says I have two thousand four hundred and thirteen videos i don't know how I don't have any movies <laughs> downloaded i don't have uh, i my guess is that that's every video in my in my photos library
0: I'm assuming mine's five hundred and eighty
1: uh, yeah i don't I don't know what those are, but there you go photos this
0: guess has gotta be bananas photos how many you got
1: ninety thousand nine hundred and nine <gasps> 90909.
0: <laughs> now this is this is maybe similar to the apps thing. I knew you'd have more. I didn't think it would be that many more. I'm at 13,172
1: photos. Oh, 13,000 photos. That's so cute.
0: Well, in a couple of years you could cross 100,000 photos.
1: Yeah, and in fact that that number is the number of photos in my in my photo library. So those are not actually on the device. That's yeah. the number that is in my iCloud photo library. So those videos are yeah, those are the videos that are in my my various libraries, but yeah, ninety thousand. I will. Wow. Well, so Mike, I do this book about photos every no, year. No, no,
0: I know, I know, I know.
1: And mm-hmm. and every year I have to update the. I think it's in the introduction where I mention how many photos are in my photo oh. library. So every year I'm like, oh, now it's more than eighty thousand. Now it's more than ninety thousand. It it's keeps on. Happening. Take control of photos from Take Control yes. Books. Go Jesus, no. buy it if you want to. I don't know. If you want to take it. control of photos. It's got a lot of things about the Photos app. If you don't want to take control of photos. Don't ask me. Don't 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 yell at me about how dumb the Photos app is. Believe me, I know. <laughs> I've written a book about it. Sometimes I get those things. It's like, why does it do it this way? Why do you? know it's like, I don't have anything to do with it. I'm just reporting the news here, people. I don't have it. Can you do this? No, you can't. Can you do this? No, of course you can't do anything that you want to do with photos. It's an obstinate app but it is what it is if you would like
0: to send in a question to help us open the show you just send out a tweet with a hashtag snow Talk or use question marks no in the relay fm members discord that was a very good one i enjoyed that you
1: know the thing that really surprises me about this is that mm-hmm. i have 256 gigs of capacity and i have yep. 193 gigs of available okay so i'm not using any storage on this phone
0: i Put mine away now, but I'm basically the same. But I have a 512 phone, and I'm halfway full on that. I don't know why, but probably because I'm using so 63 apps.
1: gigs of storage on this on this phone. So I I don't. Th- actually, this is a good tip for everybody out there when you're buying a new iPhone and you're like, I don't know how much storage I need. Um, look and see how much storage you're using. <laughs> mm-hmm. If you you've got a big 256 storage phone, and then you realize you're only using 50 gigs on it, you you're probably okay.
0: On last week's episode, in an Ask Upgrade question, we were talking about app clips, and we said that they seem to have not really taken off. Where are they? Where are app clips?
1: Australia. A
0: few Australian upgradians, <laughs> which, by the way, Australian upgradian is almost Australian the, the upgradians. They found the app clips. We got some great feedback, uh, the most detailed from Mungo, who wrote in to tell us that Australia's contact tracing system has just started using app clips as a way to check into locations. So if you're going Mm -hmm. to a restaurant or something, so we have it here. You have to open the NHS app. And scan it. And so you've been to that restaurant or you've been to that venue or whatever. But in Australia now, they now have it with the app clips. And so Mungo said, people here are seeing and using the app clips almost daily. Even with the app downloaded, the QR code now triggers the check-in action and making the whole thing seamless. So you no longer need to actually download an app to do the whole thing because it just uses the little QR code instead.
1: It's great. Even if the app is downloaded, the QR code still works to do the action. Right. So mm-hmm. either way, it is like a quick thing. We also heard from a bunch of people in Texas, in yeah. Texas, very specifically, get on your cowboy hat, in Texas, uh, oil country, saying that uh, Exxon is using app clips at their gas stations. So that may be a, a, an interesting like test rollout for them, or that's where they decided to start. Uh, but people in Texas reporting. Exxon using app clips at the gas stations and somebody also sent in a message that they saw one at a Five Guys burger place that Mm. you could like uh, do the app clip outside and do like an online order and then go in and pick it up, which uh, seemed reasonable to me. So they're out there. But I think what we said last time is not that they weren't out there, but that this is a long game. Yeah. That this is not going to be something that succeeds or fails in year one because mm-hmm. uh, it's all about putting things in an, in an infrastructure. It's about rolling it out. Like the Exxon example, it's like rolling it out to every gas station in your gas station network. That's going to take a lot of time. Uh, but I do think that app clips will ultimately uh, be all over the place because it's a, you know, convenient. the example I always give is like, you got to pay for a parking meter in a city that you're visiting and you uh, need to download their app. <laughs> it's like, I don't have their app. I don't want their app. And now yeah. you'll be able to just like tap. It opens the app clip. Um, you pay and then you get on with your life and you don't need to have that city like the example I use is I have in my purchased history forever, the Salt Lake City parking app. <laughs> like, okay, I parked in Salt Lake City twice, one uh, on two days, and that's it. Now I now I've got that app in there forever.
0: I mean, there's this, you know, as we said last time, like the, the, the thing that's going on here is that really, the opportunities that people would have had for this haven't arisen because it's this is a retail and dining thing primarily and the last year there just hasn't been a lot of that opportunity available Uh yeah but i could tell you about another one in a moment but before that let me tell you about the 2021 apple watch pride band which is just which has been unveiled it is a combination of a new watch face and there's two uh, watch bands: a braided solo loop and the Nike Sport Loop. The design of the watch face and the solo loop are intended to evoke various pride flags. Now to represent the broader LGBTQ plus community, and now Apple is trying to incorporate kind of as many colors of these as possible for the ver- like for various yeah. uh, parts of the community into one band. And I think that this band is absolutely stunning. I think that yeah, they the have braided done, solo loop yeah. is gorgeous it is is amazing beautiful and and i you know i've said i think i've said this before but like i just really appreciate that apple makes such beautiful watch bands to support these kinds of causes and um like to, to for people to be able to express this because also i think it because they're so beautiful it draws other people to them and i think can help highlight things to people that otherwise wouldn't be in those communities so i kind of really like that and as well this was announced on the international day against homophobia transphobia and biphobia so it's like the perfect time to show it off the nike sport loop is the more traditional pride flag Uh, but it's got some like reflective materials woven into it. So it's good for like nighttime running or whatever. Um, Mm -hmm. And Apple is actually using an app clip in the packaging of the watch band to help customers easily install the matching watch
1: face. So there you go, all ties in. Somebody in the App Clips seems like, we could use App Clips in our packaging. Mm-mm. And they're like, all right, okay. Fine.
0: It's like, ah, if we have to. Yeah, Here
1: we go, everybody. <laughs> evidence that App Clips are a thing is that Apple is using them. No, mm-hmm. that's evidence of nothing. I'm, I'll stick with the, I ad- the Australian gradients. I absolutely adore
0: this watch band. It's the yeah. braided solo loop. So I'm not going to buy one yet. I want to wait until I can try them on. I want to try them on because I, no, I don't want to deal with the whole paper sizing thing. So uh, I will right. pick one of these up at some point though, because I
1: we, just think it's stunning. If you've got any with the little notches on them, you can just use those and get your sizing. Oh yeah. It was the whole thing that Gruber did. And it oh, works. Oh yeah. I yeah, bought multiple bands for me and for mm-hmm. Lauren using that technique. Works great. Okay. I'll
0: I'll dig into that then. I'll dig into that. But it's really cool. It's beautiful too. I think it did a fantastic job. So I want to tell you about something special. It's, Membership special time, so it's double special. Mm. We every year around August we have had extra bonus episodes for Relay FM members. Uh, we are now doing this earlier, so one of the reasons we are just kind of splitting up uh, the time that we have is because we would go straight from our specials into the podcastathon. These are two huge projects that we yeah. have been doing around the same time of the year, and we have decided. That's a bad idea. It's dumb. <laughs> Don't do that. <laughs> Don't do that. So we're now going to be doing our membership specials earlier in the year, kind of around May time. And here we are. So on this show, we are going to be teaming up again with CGP Grey of the Cortex podcast for our annual special that we do. Uh, for the last, I think, four years or so, we've been doing text adventures. Jason has been our text adventure parser and me and Grey have been going through the world. But this time... We're doing something Mm, different. Yeah. So instead of a text adventure, we're going to be stepping things up a notch and doing a full RPG adventure instead.
1: Yeah, it's a full role-playing game. So not a text adventure, but something a little more... It's not Dungeons & Dragons, but it's like Dungeons & Dragons. And I think the most important point here is that I am no longer in the safe, comfortable position of being Snellatron 3000. Mm-hmm. Instead, I have joined you and Gray yep. as a player. Mm-hmm.
0: When we were looking at this, kind of changing it, I think it was something that we decided that it just felt right for you to be on our side mm-hmm. now rather uh-huh. than playing against us.
1: It's like the shoe was on the other foot on that way, and then also we're expanding the expanding the world and expanding the way we do it so the logical step would be that now the three of us who've done all of these specials together yep. would now have to join forces in you know in a new adventure so we're going to be
0: part of the same team navigating a space based adventure and we've mm-hmm. brought in our ringer tony sindala who is the Dungeon Master slash Games Master of the Total Party Kill podcast to help us. We needed an experienced Game Master to create the world for us, and Tony Mm -hmm. has done an absolutely superb job. This special is going to be published on May 21st. It's this Friday, if you're listening this week uh it'll be for real afm members in the crossover feed <laughs>
1: otherwise it's already published Just otherwise
0: go get it. it's already out uh this is where you get all of our annual bonus specials from this year and past years if you are already a member you can log into member and you can get this feed from your podcast page but i'll also put a link in the show notes of this episode so you can just tap it log in and subscribe to it straight away If you haven't signed up yet, go to getupgradeplus.com right now, and you'll not only get the RPG special, you'll also get access to Upgrade Plus, which has longer episodes of Upgrade every week with no ads. We really loved putting this special together. Came out great. There's a lot of work from everyone, and I I think it's really come, it really shows, and we hope you enjoy it. We're going to have a trailer at the end of the episode today, so you can hear what it's going to be all about. Go sign up, getupgradeplus.com
1: and you can get all of it. Yep. Come for the bathrobes, stay for the squirrels. Indeed. You'll understand what that means if you listen.
0: Should we talk about some Upstream headlines before we move on today?
1: Yeah, there's so much going on with Apple, um, but we need to do a little check-in on Upstream, yep. because they're, they're, we're, I keep sending you links, and things keep happening, mm-hmm. <laughs> and we need to talk about them. But I wanted to start with... Uh, Jeff Bezos as television development executive because it made me laugh and laugh. This is uh, Jeff Bezos. This is a a tweet we'll put in the show notes from Peter Kafka talking about Brad Stone's new book, uh, Amazon Unbound um, and about why uh, Amazon's Uh, original attempts to launch a TV uh, service uh, were maybe a little bit off kilter because in part, it was Jeff Bezos who had decided that, I'm just going to quote it here, Uh, Look, I know what it takes to make a great show. This should not be that hard. All of these iconic shows have basic basic things in common. And then he, off the top of his head, began rattling off the secret formula to making a successful TV show, including a heroic protagonist who experiences growth and change, a compelling antagonist, wish fulfillment, moral choices, diverse world building, urgency to watch next episode, oh man, I'd love me some urgency, civilization high stakes, humor, betrayal, and positive emotions. Lo- like humans feel love joy hope etc boy jeff bezos has solved television anyway yeah
0: it's like okay like yeah you're right on those things but you can't, it's not like a recipe no it's not how it works.
1: What I love about this is that it's the like an archetypal version of the suit of the studio, like the yeah. the overseer, yeah. saying giving notes to creative people, mm-hmm. saying like, "Look, this is simple, people. Why don't you get it? I have a list. I'll just mm-hmm. rattle it off off the top of my head. I'm a guy who runs a uh, an online shopping site, but even I know you got to have the positive emotions and the moral choices and the diverse world building. Mean, come on, people. This is it's it's easy. So stick those things in there, and then apparently the story goes that um, apparently they would be in development meetings for Prime Video uh, shows, and people would be challenged about did their did their thing fulfill all of the check boxes of Jeff Bezos's map to successful television, and if it didn't, they had some explaining to do. Unbelievable. This book seems like it's probably getting pretty good. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Anyway, so Jeff has got it solved. Everybody, shut it down. <laughs> Just listen to Jeff. Can't wait for the Lord of the Rings show. That's in production now. They've actually started. Yeah. Well, so I'm unclear on the timeline of this, but what happened is that they actually replaced the development executive, the head of Prime Video, yep. with a new development executive who is much more, well, I don't know, more, but who is very highly, um, highly thought of, which is who's Jen Salkey, I think is her name, and uh, and I suspect that they have changed their. Uh, they're planning a little bit. But still, you know, Jeff wants what he wants. So if he says bring back The Expanse, they're going to do it and they did it. So uh, anyway, it made me laugh. Billionaire has opinions about TV.
0: Dax Shepard's Armchair Expert podcast is going to become a Spotify exclusive starting July 1st. Uh, as well as this, they're going to be doing a first look deal with Spotify for because the, the Armchair Expert podcast is now kind of like they created a whole network of shows from it. Um, and they're going to get a first-look deal with Spotify. Uh, Armchair Expert has an estimated monthly audience of around 20 million. It's a huge show, and it is a show that I feel I see Apple promoting a lot on the podcast store, because it's one of these shows that, you know, they they talk to lots of famous people. I think the last episode, they had Prince Harry as a guest, right? Like, it is a huge, huge show. Um, I mean, you know, probably getting up there uh, alongside something like Joe Rogan. And so yeah. uh,
1: Spotify have bought it. Well, I think you mean it was a huge, huge show. Yeah. Now yeah. it's going to be. because Just to be clear, um, this is a Spotify exclusive. It will be available to listen to for free. You don't have to be a paid Spotify member. Yeah. But you're not going to be able to get it in any Only on Spotify. podcast app. Mm-hmm. Yeah.
0: So there you go. Another one. Another one
1: bites the dust, I suppose. Uh-huh. Yeah, I mean. It will be interesting to see, as it is with all of these things, how much of their audience comes with them and how much of their audience is lost. And I think Spotify, from Spotify's perspective, maybe not from Dax... Okay, how does this work? Dax Shepard and his people, they get paid by Spotify, right? So what they get out of it is more money from Spotify than they're getting on the open podcast ecosystem. Mm -hmm. Uh, What Spotify... Why is Spotify overpaying? Well, Spotify knows that they're going to lose some percentage of the 20 million uh, audience, but they're going to keep, they're going to gain a percentage of that. A lot of whom are not currently using Spotify for podcasts and they're, they're going to convert. And so Spotify is really just spending money to acquire uh, people listening to podcasts in the Spotify app because then they're in the Spotify app and then they've got them. That's their, that's the idea. And so good for Dak Shepard, I assume yep. in the, at least in the short term, because they're going to, he and his crew are going to get paid, probably overpaid by Spotify in order for them sure. to do this because they're going to give up audience in order to take money from Spotify. But um, the danger is that in the long run, Spotify doesn't want them or they don't want Spotify and they're going to have to emerge from the, the cloak of Spotify and who's left in their audience at that point. That's the, that's the downside of it. So I hope the check is big.
0: I guess the benefit that they have as opposed to Gimlet and Joe Rogan is they're not selling everything. So they have other shows, right? right? And they will still have those. They're still going to be openly available. They have that first look deal for new shows, but there is still a collection of things that they can produce on the free and open podcast market. It's just that one show.
1: Spotify doesn't want other armchair shows. Yep. um, Then they can just put those out there. That's true. Good point. But they are, and it's the whole, um catalog too so the whole thing is gonna yep, go gonna thing. duck back behind the spotify wall whatever you want to call it and not be available in uh, apple podcasts or overcast or any other podcast player
0: and it keeps getting bigger at&t is going to spin off warner media and merge it with discovery so discovery <laughs> yeah. ceo david Vazla- Z- Zaslav uh, will com- run the combined business according to the announcement a hell of a scrabble word He's got a Z and a V in his name. I apologize. Executives from both companies will be in key leadership roles.
1: Jason Kalar, who is the CEO of Warner Media, is not mentioned in any of these releases, so he's out. Um although this isn't going to close until next year sometime, but yep. he's out. And feel feel I feel for all the people who are Warner, longtime Warner employees, because they just got through this AT and T transition and a bunch of hard changes, and here they are—they're back in the washing machine again for mm-hmm. another year, where they're going to get buffeted around by who knows what the what the deal is going to be. But this is interesting. This is AT and T uh, saying, "Oops," um, about what they did when they bought Warner Media. They already got rid of Directv. Now they're go- they're they're kind of getting rid of of Warner Media but to be clear this isn't I've already seen people sort of say uh oh, well they're selling it at a loss and that's it that's not what they're doing they're actually they're going to own like 70 some percent of this combined company and I would imagine that over time they can Sell that off if they want to, or it'll, you know, but they're structuring their debt differently and they're getting it kind of off their books and their, and, and Discovery Media, which is the, uh, for those who don't know, uh, that's like the home of the Discovery Channel and they own the Food Network and they own a bunch of other cable channels and they have a Discovery Plus streaming service that they just launched. And David Zaslav is actually fairly highly thought of, I believe, as an executive um, at this relatively trying to navigate the waters with this relatively small company. And now he's apparently going to have a much larger company company to to run um but it's interesting because i think discovery was too small on its own i yes. think discovery was just kind of floating out there especially and was...
0: discovery plus right like especially yeah the, the streaming service yeah. it's tiny.
1: was not not that they didn't have some good stuff on it but again like it was it was not going to be a must-see and i would think that uh you know i think in the long run it's obvious that this is all going to get mushed together into one <laughs> streaming service it's a little bit like honestly it's a little bit like how disney plus has national geographic um they may bundle they may do you know hbo max and discovery plus like hulu and disney plus in the short run but uh they're going to be combined in some way or other that that benefits them um i don't know it's really interesting there's a bunch of behind the scenes stuff here too like jeff zucker who runs CNN was said he was going to leave at the end of the year, but it sounds like he didn't like Jason, Jason Kilar. Uh, and, but he's good buddies with the, the guy who owns discovery. So is he going to stick around? And what does that mean? I find, I find CNN being a part of Warner media and yet not being in any way on HBO max. And another interesting like thing of like, what do they do with their news properties and how does that connect? Um, I don't know. There's it's, already it was kind of messy and now mm-hmm. it's even more messy but it, in the end this might be uh this might be a pretty good uh combination i think that there's a lot of um i've seen a lot of speculation about some other company sweeping in and kind of like eating this company or putting its assets in with this company in oh order God. to bulk up to fight disney and i i don't really see that and i i say that only you know and i'm not a media industry insider Jason, it's
0: hulu too that would be at yeah, that point right yeah
1: electric <laughs> hulu hula blue um the uh, the problem is that at, at some point here this consolidation can't go on because you end up with like multiple us tv networks involved and that's not like the competitive issues get bigger and bigger and you have to sell off more stuff and i've definitely seen uh speculation to that effect but you know is it possible that this is just a way to set this thing out there so that nbc universal or disney can come in and swallow it whole? i guess anything's possible but uh i don't know anyway the the uh the streaming wars continue and this is another big thing where two uh big companies are uh, gonna squish their streaming stuff together but it also is at&t sort of saying we don't we don't actually want to run um media conglomerate we will they'll they'll own it or at least they'll own a big chunk of it but they don't actually want to run it john stanky the ceo of uh of at&t doesn't actually want to run that business and uh and david zasloff wants to run that business and john malone who owns discovery likes that business so this is an interesting way for at&t to kind of like push it at arm's length in the short term and probably sell off uh chunks of it in the long term um in order to get their money back
0: very sad for hbo this just feels very sad to me
1: well the only positive thing is that is that i think casey Blois is still at hbo right that who is the the creative director of hbo and hbo max mm-hmm. um and that's i i think that maybe is a positive now in the sense that maybe hbo will have a little more stability with the at&t yeah. guys kind of out of the way but but still i feel i feel bad i think overall this will be better for HBO, but I just feel like
0: HBO has such a good history, track record, pedigree to have just been pushed around like this yeah. for a few years. That that's what makes me sad.
1: What's gonna be left when yeah. this stabilizes and yeah. is HBO still gonna be HBO? Or are they gonna have any value um having done all of this? I also wonder like HBO Max, just because we love talking about the names of streaming services. I wonder if this will be an opportunity for them to come up with a new name for that service that does not use the HBO brand and allow mm-hmm. HBO to go back to being just HBO. Uh, I don't know. I mean, I don't think Discovery is a great brand either, to be honest. I think it's kind of confusing, but we'll see uh, what they do. But it's a, it's a big, it's a big uh, change in the streaming world. And uh, AT&T, for those who care about like, getting HBO uh, Max with their AT&T plans, I don't know what's going to happen with that in the long run, but AT&T is going to own most of the company in the short run, if this all gets approved, which will take a year.
0: This episode is brought to you by DoorDash. You're craving Chinese tonight, your friends want pizza, someone else is craving froyo, there's something for everyone. DoorDash DoorDash connects you with the restaurants that you love right now and right to your door. And you can get the grocery essentials that you need with DoorDash too. You can get drinks, snacks, and other household items delivered in under an hour. Ordering is super easy. You just open the DoorDash app, choose what you want from where you want, and your items will be left safely outside your door with their contactless delivery drop-off setting. They have over 300,000 partners in the US, Puerto Rico, Canada, and Australia. You can choose to support your neighborhood go-to or from some of your favorite national chains as well, like Chipotle, Popeye's, and Cheesecake Factory. I know that you're a big fan of DoorDash, Jason. Can you tell our listeners what they can expect when they order from DoorDash?
1: What I like about Door- well, first off, I like about DoorDash that my, my daughter uh, drove for DoorDash for a while, and that was pretty cool. Uh, and she would sometimes bring us food, which was nice. She's all, always been our personal DoorDash. Uh, you can <laughs> pre-order stuff. That's one of the things I really like about it, that you can, uh, when you're not hungry, you pre-order. This is my technique. I've told you about it before. Order when you're not hungry. Tell them when to deliver it and then your food will show up at that time and uh, you will not do what I do sometimes, which is order when you're hungry, you overorder. It doesn't come right away because they got to make it and then drive it to you and that's not as good. So just set your, everybody agree in your family, like, uh, when are we eating? What are we eating? And then uh, you do that like in the afternoon and uh,
0: then your dinner shows up. For a limited time, our listeners can get 25% off and zero delivery fees on their first order of $15 or more when you download the DoorDash app and use the code UPGRADE2021 in the US or UPGRADEAUS if you're in Australia. That's 25% off up to... $10 $10 value and zero delivery fees on your first order when you download the DoorDash app in the App Store and use the code upgrade2021. Or for our Australian upgradians, just use upgradeAUS. <laughs> that is upgrade2021 for the US, upgradeAUS for the upgrading Australians for 25% off your first order with DoorDash. Subject to change, terms apply. Our thanks to DoorDash for their support of this show and Relay
1: FM. Mike, there's something here with me right now. Oh, I'm so jealous of you. Something I haven't revealed until now i couldn't reveal until this very moment that we post this podcast Mm -hmm. it's an orange iMac are you recording on it right now i'm not it's right next to me it's next to you okay it's over on the side it's been watching us as we record this remaining silent until now how does it look oh it looks good it looks really good The images are fantastic orange iMac in my orange office (laughs) yeah oh it's so good yeah I love the bright colors. They're so they're so great. I I appreciate. We joke about it. I appreciate they're not for everyone, and I'm glad that Apple makes a uh, silver one. So yeah. they've got one that's neutral. That was not the op, not an option you had in the early days of the iMac, right? Remember when Apple turned everything blue? They blue Power Macs and blue iMacs and all of that. Mm-hmm. Like they've, they they. Uh, but to give the option to not have it be neutral and have it fit into your your uh, color scheme of your room or just delight you with a color. And it is. It's, it's delightful. The back of that thing, too, because it's um, flat now, it doesn't have the kind of taper to the bulgy part in the middle. It's just completely flat. Mm-hmm. And it's got that big Apple logo on it. It's, uh, it's quite striking from the, from the back because it's so bright. It's quite a thing to see.
0: And your office, you actually would work with this computer because you don't have your desk to the wall, do you?
1: I don't. And so I was writing this review that is now up at Six Colors. I actually plopped it down. I used the arm on my iMac Pro and swung it away and then plopped it down and attached my keyboard.
0: Oh, very cute. And just
1: sat here and wrote, on it. And, and then, yeah, you get the, from the side and, and from different angles, you see the bright and then you see the bright color also on the, on the stand, right? On the little foot mm-hmm. that it, it's bright there. Even if you're in front of it, that part of it is bright. And one of the things that I, in terms of just using it that I hadn't really thought of. And then as I was using it, I noticed that Apple, I think had done a really good job with is this idea of creating a, it's almost like a, a, a gradient where you've got your bright stand Mm -hmm. and then you've got that the lighter you know almost in this case peachy part that's above Mm -hmm. it that's on the chin and then you get that neutral gray border and then you get your screen Mm -hmm. so that when you're working on it you can you can focus on the screen and um not get distracted by the color but the color is is also there but it's not in the center of your vision so uh, i can't imagine that that they didn't do a lot of thought and a lot of testing about creating this kind of a thing that would allow them to bring color to the experience of using an iMac without um, without having it be so in your face that it became maybe even unpleasant to use it because it was just screaming at you from all over your your vision you really kind of lose it when you're focused on what you're working on
0: obviously the iMac it is a screen right like the whole computer is a screen now this screen is 24 inches
1: yeah. How did
0: you feel about this? Because you're used to 27 on your iMac Pro. Right. What did twenty-four feel
1: like? You know, it's a little smaller, but I'm not sure I'm the best user of a twenty-seven inch screen. Like I have had one for a long time now, since the 5k iMac came out. But 24 is is nice. It's a four and a half K. So it's it's more than the old 21 and a half inch iMac, but less than the 27 inch iMac. Um, so yeah, it's a little bit smaller, but I, I didn't find it small at all. It's a, it's a very nice, large, bright screen. It's sort of like, one of the things I was thinking is that Apple gives us these, uh, these screens now and like, they've become almost old hat. Like, yeah, they're bright and they've got wide color gamut and
0: night shift and all that stuff.
1: Yeah. And they're so good that they've got yeah they it's got true tone right it's like it's you know what screen this is you know what it looks like it's really good but uh, unless you're out there trying to find like third party monitors that do what apple's displays do um you may may not realize like no it they're really good they're very good at what they do so um so yeah i didn't find the it, it's it's smaller. It's way smaller on my desk. That was one thing that I found really funny about it. But um but it's still a it's a really generous screen. You can fit a lot of stuff on it. What's the
0: resolution? Is it 4.5? Is that what they said? 4 4.5. Yeah. And I assume that that is gives you more than enough screen real estate for stuff.
1: 4480 by 2520 in terms of pixels. It's a lot. And then you can, you know, you can go to the displays and make it more space if you want to and it yeah. will shrink everything down a little bit and give you more space if you want that. Like again, if you're somebody who wants the biggest possible display, this is not the biggest possible display, but no. for somebody who is buying a the low-end iMac, <laughs> it's more display than has ever been in the low end iMac and it's a very generous display it's something that just you know not too many years ago would have been an enormous display not to mention the fact that it's also retina so it's high resolution and enormous like that was tv sizes not too long ago
0: right like you're right oh yeah (laughs) the the actual physical size you know you mentioned it's smaller is it the thinness of the computer does that strike you as impressive? Do you really feel much about that
1: when you see it? I absolutely think it's impressive. I used it all over my house, right? I used it at a desk, uh, at my wife's desk. I used mm-hmm. it at my desk. I used it at a table in my office. And I used it on the bar, actually, bar top of our, uh, our kitchen and sat on a bar stool. And a few things I noticed. So like when I was at the bar, I stood for some of it and sat for some of it. And when I stood, I was higher up. And I would reach and tilt the display up. And anytime I positioned it like that, tilting the display or something, you can feel, first off, the fact that on a, on a um, Intel iMac, it's, it's narrow at the edge, but then it immediately is trailing away and it's curving away. And this is not like that. This is a, an absolutely flat surface. It feels nicer to touch it. And then positioning it is like, um, I mean, because it, it's less than 10 pounds so positioning it is is actually really easy. So I do notice it. I I, I get what people have have criticized out before in making um, iPads, or not iPads, iMacs thinner and lighter like it's a big iPad, which is kind of what it is now, and saying, well, you know, you just put it on your desk and then you don't worry about it anymore. So why do you care if it's big and heavy and stuff? It's like, well, yeah, that's true. Although setting it up is easy. Moving it around is easy. I I feel like they've also designed this thing. So that you can move it around, so you can say, "Why don't we put it over here? Why don't we put it over there in a house, something like that, where you can, you know, you can change the context if you want to." But you can also, when you take it out of the box, like it's less than ten pounds; it's it's not bulky at all. And you lift this thing up and put it on a desk, and then tilting it to adjust it. I I imagine that if you put this on a on a vase mount and put it on an arm, that it would be um, it would adjust like a dream that way too. I
0: like that you moved it around a lot because it gave you the ability to see it in those different spaces. Because yeah. I mean, honestly, color color wise, it like it looks different in those environments, right? Like it suits different environments differently. And I think that it was refreshing to see it in different places. And also it's fun because you get to test out the weight of it. But you mentioned about the Vasa arm. What was the what's the viewing height like in practical terms? Like how do you feel the ergonomics of the machine are having used it?
1: Uh I think, yeah, you know, I don't know. I mean, it depends on your setting, right, like so at my desk here, it was lower than my screen usually is, um so I was using it, um, sort of tilted up a little bit. I would probably if it was on an arm, I would probably float it a little bit higher on my desk, and that's one of the unfortunate things about it not having an adjustable arm is that they can they can tell us that they looked at ergonomics and all of that, and that's great, but um different bodies need different height for uh, good ergonomics on that. And because it's not adjustable, this beautiful orange thing in some circumstance or, or whatever color you choose is going to be on a dictionary or something, which is just like, it's not great, but that's what people do. So it's too bad that it's not adjustable. I think that that's a failing of it, but um, you know, but I used it and it was, it was fine in the long run. I would have wanted it to be higher.
0: Look, we know there are things you can do. You can put it on, books or whatever you can put it on a stand thing that you can buy to yeah. raise it up which is what I do with my iMac Pro and I've done for a long time so I have something that sits underneath the foot.
1: I think I already said this but like 12 South will undoubtedly come out with uh color matched aluminum stands for yep. every one of these iMacs, right? Mm-hmm. Like and and uh that's fine. It it's just Apple could have solved this by building a a better stand and they chose not to. It's the same iMac stand more or less that they've had all along.
0: I hope that the iMac Pro Honestly has some kind of option akin to the pro display. Not a thousand dollars, right? Me Not a thousand dollars.
1: No. But something. Yeah, and an option would be fine, right? Just mm-hmm. to say that you could you can get this with the adjustable height or the standard height or a vase amount and you could choose. That would be great. And people who care about the, the height could pay extra for it. I think that would be fine.
0: I want to read a little quote from your review that I loved, okay? At least for the moment, Apple's essentially selling five different computers that are technically the same. It just matters if you want a fanless 13-inch laptop, a 13-inch laptop with a fan, a 12.9-inch touch tablet, a small headless computer, or a computer with a built-in 24-inch display. They're all basically the same product in slightly different shapes and sizes. If you read this five years ago, you would assume that the worst had happened, that Apple has put like iOS on everything. You know what I mean? Like you read this yeah. out of time and you would right. assume something bad had happened. But in our timeline right now, the M1 is so good. This is actually a very good thing.
1: Yeah, it is. It is important to keep in mind as we did last fall that the M1, as, although it has caused sort of leaps in performance over the computers that it's replacing that were from Intel, it's a low-end processor. It's Apple's first Mac processor. And it's going in low-end models. This is the low-end iMac. It was going in the Mac Mini, uh, the low-end version. They still sell the Intel version. It was going in the MacBook Air. It was going in the, the lesser of the two 13-inch MacBook Pros, right? This is the low-end Mac processor. Uh, there's more to come, right? But this is such a leap for those low-end systems. That it's yeah, it is a good thing. Like all of them, if you if you compare this, the performance scores of this to the twenty one, even the specked out twenty one and a half inch iMac that was using the fastest processor, Intel processor you could put in it, it's faster. Like it's faster and it's cooler, and I can't get the fan to make noise because it doesn't make noise. It doesn't. It doesn't have heat problems. It like it's just. It's the same story you've heard before. If you've read about those other M1 Macs, this is just that, except the big story here is that they also redesigned the outside, which they didn't do for the other ones.
0: Let's talk about the peripherals a little bit, because sure. they are very exciting. There are so many. They look so good. Oh my they do. God.
1: They're really good. Rounded corners and stuff. I'm still mad about the, that they didn't. Every other keyboard they've introduced in the last two years has brought back the inverted T keys. And these compact keyboards didn't. They, they still got full-size left and right arrows. I don't understand it. But um, the fact that they're color-matched, even down to the, just the little metal band that's around the back and the sides of the Magic Trackpad, mm-hmm. like that they went to the trouble that that's color-matched aluminum, um, the underside of the mouse. So when you plug it in by stabbing it with a lightning port, it's very colorful. Color-matched lightning cables. And yeah, it's, oh, it's a, so it's an orangey, uh, you know, woven cable, braided cable yep. cover. Uh, it's clearly the nicest lightning cable ever made by Apple and it's peach. Mine's peachy. They're going to go for good money on eBay those cables well yeah and this is this is yeah you wonder about the future and we have more to say about this later but you wonder about the future of of apple's color plan and if they've got this is going to be rolling out everywhere and this is where it starts but uh the fact that the yeah so the 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 magic trackpad is uh it's got more it's got a more curved corners and is a little bit lower than the old magic trackpad right because it, they matched the height and the angle of the keyboards. They're all exactly the same.
0: So if you put the trackpad and the keyboard touching each other, they are the same kind of profile now. Exactly. Are they the same depth? Yeah. Huh. It's like, why? You know, just because we're Apple. You know, like that's one of those things. It's yeah. like, why did you do that? looks nice looks nice i i can't imagine that all of the reasons ergonomic sizes all that kind of stuff would mean that you should have those two things the same i could imagine them being different for different reasons
1: and they had to rebuild the magic trackpad right which hasn't magic trackpad 2 which they haven't and it's it's largely the same you wouldn't really tell the difference it's just but they still had to make it different and they all have to be in all the different colors um i want to mention the touch id because what they do with the touch id is really clever uh, we've been speculating for a long time about how do you do wireless Touch ID with a, with a Mac? How would you do that? And the answer is, and there's a tech note up about it now, but the answer is it says, okay, you want to set up the Touch ID. Here's what you do. Double tap on the power button on the back of the iMac. What? Wait, what? But that's what it's doing. So to do Touch ID, what it needs to do is verify. It pairs that keyboard with that mac you double tap double tap on the power button button.
0: and that doesn't turn the computer off no because i guess you have to hold it right to go off
1: yeah yeah right so they they built this other thing in
0: weird
1: so you double tap it and then it pairs it with the touch id sensor on it and then what happens is the touch id sensor is only sending back what it's reading it's all processed in the secure element so the keyboard doesn't know your fingerprint the keyboard just knows what it sees on your finger when you lay it on the touch ID yeah. and sends that back to the Mac. Um, presumably that's encrypted and that's why you're doing the double tap is that you're getting them to pair. But the analysis of it that verifies that it's your fingerprint is happening inside the secure element, inside the um, the M1. I think it's just
0: strange to me that plugging in the cable wouldn't do the pairing.
1: No, because they. I think the idea there is that it's a Bluetooth keyboard. So the idea is that it's going to be... Um, wireless, probably, and they want to have faith that it's the right keyboard that is for this Mac, and that they're connected together, and and that they're they're not inseparable. But like, this is the thing that verifies that that is my keyboard, and that we are talking to each other, and that sets up, I believe, their secure connection to one another for Touch ID purposes.
0: And do you only do this once? Yeah. Okay.
1: I mean, presumably if you added a different keyboard or maybe if you wiped the drive or something, you'd have to redo it. But basically, That's wild. yes. That's so yeah, wild. It's yeah, pretty, it's pretty wacky. Also, the, we talked about the, the lightning cable, that braided lightning cable. Uh, the setup process has you, which I think they've been doing for a while now, but it's, it's very much like, why is the lightning cable there? Well, the lightning cable is there to pair the keyboard and the mouse or the trackpad with mm-hmm. the device. So you boot it and it says, uh, plug in the cable, now plug it into your keyboard. Now you have a keyboard. Easy. Now plug it yeah. into the trackpad. Now you have a trackpad, right? Mm. Like that's how th- that's how that works. So you need to have that one cable because they want to do the easy pairing with the plug to pair, but they also made it this very pretty. And
0: then, I mean, then it's yours to charge, right? You've always got it to charge them up. And yeah. Matches, yeah, and you do and an initial nice. charge
1: and all yeah. of that. Yeah, it makes sense. And when
0: you plug it in, it's going to look good while it's charging, which I really uh-huh. genuinely appreciate. That's right,
1: because it's, it's going to be orangey if it's orange oh. or greeny if it's green. The other braided cable, of course, is the power cable. Mm. That goes on the back that attaches magnetically, um, which is not MagSafe because remember MagSafe means it's easy to tear it off, and this one is hard. It's I would I would say it's actually harder to pull it out than it is to pull the power plug out from my iMac Pro. This
0: is MagSafe Max or MagSafe Pro. Yeah, or it's well, it's not
1: it's it's un Mag unsafe. It's Mag attached. It's super attached. Well, that like, makes it actually it's safe, but in a different way. I guess right? so. So you pull, so when you, when I, I've got the little screen tilted and yeah. I pull on that power plug and what happens is the screen comes all the way back to fully vertical. Wow. <laughs> At which point it can't, pivot anymore and only at that point if you if you pull hard on it will it disengage the magnet you really have to give it a, a real pull to disengage it apple says it's mo- as much i think it's more force than the friction that's in the a standard power cable in in like my iMac pro yeah and my, i've accidentally pulled out the iMac pro cable more than once and yep. i i would feel more confident with this cable being um Robust. It is a very powerful magnet. <laughs> you tried the Ethernet? Yeah, it's it's it it sped up uh, all of my transfers when I plugged in Ethernet into the power plug. I I do say in the review, um, I love that this is a direction for Apple. I love the idea of getting things off of desks. Yep. And making the desk more, especially if you've got this pretty colorful iMac, getting things off your desk. Like a lot of us nerds do this anyway, where we we try to route things off our desk. I've got a USB hub attached under my desk Mm -hmm. so that I can reduce the number of cords that are running from my computer across the desk. And I have a bunch of other stuff hiding under my desk, right? So I like this idea of getting power and ethernet off the desk and you just have the one cable. I want them to do more with this. This is the place where, like, in the long run, I want them to do data on there, too. I really want them to put USB ports on there. They don't have to be Thunderbolt. They could just be USB. But, like, if you've got other stuff, if you want to plug, you know, a keyboard in or something, you can run it under the desk. If you want to plug, uh, really, you know, anything you can think of, a USB uh, or uh, an uninterrupted UPS power supply. Yeah. Uh you could do it that way. You could do my my little podcast microphone. Like there's all sorts of things you could plug in that way and it would all happen under the desk because cable management is a thing. And this uh could be even more than it is. But what it is is pretty uh pretty impressive. And again, I'll say because it's not mag safe, you're not unplugging this thing. It stays attached. So I don't think there's the worry about like if you have your backup hard drive attached to the power brick. I don't think there's a worry about data loss because this is you're not unplugging this. It's different with MagSafe, right? If you have a uh, a hard drive attached to a power brick with MagSafe, uh, that's bad because the MagSafe is going to pop off when there's any force attached to it. That would be the idea, but that's not the idea of this thing. So I like it. It's uh it's pretty nice. It is true. I gave it a try. Depending on exactly how I wire it, when I put my desk in a standing configuration, it kind of. Barely touches the ground. It's really close, and and if I if the if the cable is kind of off to the right just a little bit, it it uh it doesn't touch the ground. But the mm-hmm. truth is, if I were to have an iMac like this on my desk, the power brick would probably be attached to the underside of my desk, not laying down on the floor. Mm-hmm. That's the truth.
0: Got to talk about the webcam. Mm-hmm. How is it? How's the quality?
1: Well, it's the same webcam as in the 27-inch iMac and, and my iMac Pro. It's the 1080 webcam.
0: Which is the best that they've done. Best so they've
1: done on the Mac. Best they've done on the Mac. And I want to come back to that point because I have, I have some complaints here. But I also had them side-by-side. Side. The same lighting conditions, side-by-side, side, my iMac Pro and the uh, iMac, 24-inch iMac. Mm-hmm. Apple talks about like how Apple's image processing helps the image be better. They are not kidding. <laughs> right. The image out of the iMac is way better than the image out of my iMac Pro. It's way good. better. And that and that's not because of the camera. It's the same camera. It's because of the image processing that they're able to do better things in terms of dealing with low light conditions and having the the tone be more even. Um it's still a 1080 webcam, but they're doing a lot of smart processing and the quality of it is pretty good.
0: But it should be better.
1: Well, that's the thing, right, is Apple announced this product along with the iPad Pro, Mm -hmm. and the iPad Pro has a 12-megapixel ultra-wide camera on the front. And it has center stage, which auto crops and follows you around and uses that image processing to recognize faces and zoom in and out and all of those things that we all saw in the demo, right? Mm-hmm. If ever there was a feature for the iMac, it's that feature. What right? makes you say that?
0: That's interesting.
1: The thing is, if you, if you need to adjust where your iMac, or where your iPad is for doing a video conference, mm-hmm. you just move it because it's an iPad. But an iMac, if it's sitting on a desk or sitting in the corner of a room or something, you're probably not going to do Zoom with grandma and grandpa. And even though it's relatively easy these days with this light, you know, less than 10 pounds iMac to do it, you're probably not going to disconnect all your peripherals and unplug your iMac and lift it up and move the papers out of the way and then put it over where the family is sitting and then run an extension cord and boot up the iMac and get into Zoom with grandma and grandpa, right? You're you're just not going to do that. The iMac is going to be, by its very nature, less mobile than a mobile device. Uh, And yet, center stage is on the iPad, a mobile device. And I'm sure center stage is going to be great. I'm sure. But why is it not on the iMac? And I think this is just, honestly, this this is that Apple is not, I don't know whether it's Apple... Keeping things a secret, or whether Apple is getting its product releases kind of out of step and the iMac was being built too soon, or they pro- prioritize that software on iPad OS. But like, it can't be the camera because this is an iMac. I'm sure they could fit the camera that's in the iPad Pro in this iMac. I'm sure they could. And it can't be the processor, it's the same processor. I guess it could be the software. But not only you know could it be the software, but now the hardware on these things is locked in. It's a 1080 webcam. It's not the ultra wide thing that's, that allows the iPad Pro to do all that center stage stuff. So it's kind of a, a missed opportunity. And I, I maybe we'll see that camera in the bigger iMac. That would be great. But like, ah, oh, it's such a missed opportunity. Like this is a perfect, uh, uh, the low cost iMac put in a family room somewhere and have center stage as a feature. Like, it would be perfect. And it's just not there. So it's a nice webcam. It's it, They're probably right in saying it's the nicest webcam on the Mac ever because of the combination of the hardware and the software. But it's also, it just strikes me as being a huge missed opportunity. Like, they've got the technology. It's in the other product that they announced the same day, but it's not in, on on the Mac. It's on the iPad. And I just think it's bad for the Mac that Apple made that decision. And... It it also exposes something about Apple's product development that they had a feature like that and they either chose not to put it in the Mac or they were so out of sequence that the Mac just couldn't get it. And it's too bad either way. And it hurts
0: more when you see these new webcam features, right? Going into other products. Yeah, it, I, this continues to be an issue. It's going to continue to be an issue for a while um, I expect that this stuff is going to start improving because they're getting so much pressure from people about it, right? Like, we're talking about it here and every um, review is going to talk about it as well. This has always been mentioned, but it's not really been much of a thing. It's like, oh, and this is what the webcam looks like. Okay, we'll move on. But the last nearly two years, 18 months, I should say, uh, like, this is what is, this world has really shown that we need this stuff to just be better and we want it to be better.
1: It cuts both ways to the, uh, the M1. By putting the M1 in Macs and iPads, it does make us, I think, more fairly ask Apple, why does this device do this and this other device doesn't? And it cuts both ways in the sense that we're doing that a lot with the iPad, right? When they announced that iPad, we had a lot of conversations about, and really since 2018, about um, the stuff that iPad OS doesn't do, that the Mac can do. And it's not the power because the processor is the same now. But it goes both ways, and and here, here it is, cutting the other way, which is, um, why does the Mac not have this feature that's in the iPad? That it's better for the Mac. It's a better fit for the Mac than the iPad. The iPad, like that's a really whizzy feature. But the iPad, you can move it and point it in the right direction. You can't really do that with an iMac. Maybe like
0: there's some. Th- I mean, like you know, if I was gonna argue the other point, it's like maybe people. Like those kind of times where family video calls are more done from mobile computers than fixed computers. And that's why you might want it. I don't know. Nevertheless, this is a feature that should be everywhere because it's just really good.
1: Yeah. And that brings me to a, a larger point, which is just about how Apple views the iMac. And we've been seeing this uh, and upgrade listeners have been seeing it since we talked the first time since I interviewed Colleen Novielli. Because that was the first time I really noticed Apple trying to put the iMac in a different kind of context, right? When the iMac was first created home computers, you would have a computer in your home. That was the idea. It was still in the era back in 98 where really you wanted a home computer, you know, for, for everyone in the home and you park it somewhere and that's the computer and everybody uses it. But today, and, you know, even a few years ago when we had that first conversation with Colleen, everybody's got mobile devices, right? Like there are, there are Tablets, maybe, you know, you got your iPads, you got phones. L- two-thirds, three-quarters of the Macs Apple sells are laptops. Mm-hmm. So what's the role of the iMac? It's obviously very different than it was back in the back in the day. And over the last few years, talking to Colleen, seeing how Apple puts this in context, you get the idea that Apple really is trying to show you sort of like the scenarios where the iMac is used or can be used. And so it's tidbits like... In hotels and offices and 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 public spaces where they need a computer, and this is a pretty computer. Now, now even prettier because you can choose your color, and it goes at the front desk, and people see it, and it's, it says, you know, we have a sense of style, and we're you know we're not a fly by night operation because we could afford a computer, whatever. Um, but you know, in the home, it's like, well, how do we do this? And I think the answer is, you know, they're 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 pitching it as things like you can. You can have a big screen because sometimes you want a bigger screen mm-hmm. than your laptop or your iPad or your iPhone can give you. Like, which is weird to think of a, the reason you buy an iMac is because it's got a big screen, because you can do multitasking, right? But, like, there is some truth to that. And I think Apple hopes that the iMac will fill a niche in terms of um, kids who don't have their own devices or families that have some other devices, but there, there's work that is better done on big screen. Uh, rather than like a laptop screen. Uh, or there are contexts contacts where having a home computer, a desktop computer is a better fit for you than using your laptop or using your iPad. Uh, some of their examples, like a kitchen iMac or something, it's like, I don't know, like, I, I wouldn't do that. I would use my laptop or my, ipad or my phone in the kitchen i probably wouldn't put an imac in the kitchen but there are other scenarios where i think it makes sense and that's and that's where the the center stage conversation comes in too. is like if you do have an imac in your family room or living room or something like that um it's got the big screen it may actually be the best place to do a facetime conversation mm. or a zoom meeting or whatever because it's got the big screen but it doesn't do the center stage part. So I don't know. It's, uh, it's interesting to see Apple kind of try to find its way of like, what are the, it has to explain what are the scenarios where you would use an iMac. And that's something that we didn't ever have to do back in the day. But today it really is like, well, I've got all my mobile devices. Why would I buy an iMac? And the fact is only a little fraction of the Mac market is the iMac. It's probably, I don't know, 20%, 15% of the Mac market is all the iMac, but that it's still a valuable, as we know from talking to Colleen, still a very valuable and important part of Apple's business. And with this iMac, it feels to me like they're leaning into those scenarios. They're like, okay, mm. we know that the iMac isn't everywhere now, but where is it being used and how can we make a, bigger, a better iMac for that? So the fact that it's lighter and the fact that it's colorful, yeah. those all kind of factor in. Uh, the fact that it's got a bigger screen, probably too, because it helps differentiate it from your 13 inch or 15 inch laptop screen or 16 inch laptop screen that you're using.
0: Do you feel like there's anything missing from this iMac?
1: Um, well, I I mean it's a first cut at it, so presumably they'll iterate and some of this stuff will come in. Um, I wish there were the ports on the power plug. I think that would be a mm-hmm. fun way to expand the getting, you know, the cl- cleanliness of the top of your desk. How do you feel about the
0: I/O in general?
1: Yeah, the port situation on the on the back is weird. The low end model only has the two Thunderbolt ports, which is probably fine. It's not great, but it's fine. It's the low end model. The higher end model has The two additional USB 3 USB-C ports, um, which leads to that weird situation where two ports are labeled for Thunderbolt with little lightning bolts and Mm -hmm. two aren't. And Apple generally, in its history, it's been very rare that you've seen a Mac that has two ports that are identical that do different things. (laughs) It happens, but the fact that they have to label them, it's been a long time, I think, since they've, they've had something like this dramatic. But that's how they had to do it. It's the M1. The M1 can't do more than two lanes of Thunderbolt. So here we are. Um, I'm glad it's still got a headphone jack. I'm glad it still supports Ethernet, even though it doesn't support it by default on the low-end. You can can pay for, uh, on the low-end model, you can pay for not just a better keyboard with Touch ID, but the low-end model, you can also pay to get the brick that's got Ethernet on it if you want that. But, you know, uh, the webcam, while good, I think could be better. Um, but it's, it's pretty great. Like it's an M one computer and it's all the great things we said about the M one computers last fall is true for this one too. Plus it's got this new design that it's just, it's so nice. I know people are skeptical about the gray. It's, it's, it's not white. It is a light gray border around the screen, but I think they did a pretty good job with it. I, I will say it is more of a light mode experience than a dark mode experience. It's, it's, it's fine in dark mode, but in light mode it really works having the neutral gray around right. the border. Right. Um but again, presumably there is another iMac, the high-end iMac that has not been touched yet that is also to come and will will perhaps be a variation on this. Um but it's you know, if you're in the market for a desktop Mac like and and you're not a pro, obviously this is the product for you. And and the fact that it's here and it's got that M1 power that's going to make it so much better, right? Like it's not designed for spinning hard drives anymore. So that's out. It's all SSD as it should be. It's quiet. It's light. You know, I don't know. There's a lot of really great stuff about this computer, even though I, I can quibble. The quibbles are good because it gives Apple something to um, iterate on, right? You're never going to get everything in there on the first iteration, but it's still a pretty impressive display. I, Um, this is, if you think about it, Mike, this is the first Mac redesign we've seen in the Apple Silicon era. This is is the first
0: M1 Mac, if you would think of it that way.
1: Like, that's how I kind of
0: think of it. Like, the other ones, they were Intel Macs of M1 chips.
1: Yeah, this is the first Mac designed for M1, clearly. This is the first
0: one of this new generation of products. And
1: I suspect they're all going to be like this from here on out. I don't think we're ever going to see a retread of an Intel product again. Maybe there'd be a Mac mini update or something like that, but it sure feels like from here on out, they're going to be Mac
0: mini. So cool. Like tiny, just like minuscule, like Apple TV size, you know what I mean? Like people have wished for something like that for years, just because why not? They could could do, will they? Who knows?
1: But it does feel like we've, we've reached the, uh, uh, there was a break point between last fall and this spring where we've shifted from the first ones get out the door and they look like the old ones. And now, now we're going to start seeing those, um, Those redesigns that it it really is the computers that were made for Apple Silicon. They weren't, weren't made for Intel. They wouldn't have worked with Intel. And they had to wait for those designs to be on M1 or whatever comes next.
0: This episode is brought to you by Squarespace, the all-in-one platform to build your online presence and run your business. From websites and online stores to marketing tools and analytics, Squarespace has got you covered. They combine cutting-edge design and world-class engineering, making it easier than ever to establish your home online and make your ideas a reality. Squarespace has everything you need to create a beautiful and modern website. You start with a professionally designed template and you use drag-and-drop tools to make it your own. You customize the look and feel. The settings, even the products you could have on sale in just a few clicks, and all Squarespace websites are optimized for mobile, so your content automatically adjusts so it's going to look great on every device. You'll get free, unlimited hosting, top-of-the-line security, and dependable resources to help you succeed, like award-winning 24-7 customer support. If you need any help, Squarespace are on hand. I actually had a question for Squarespace's support team a couple of days ago. Sent in an email, got one back super quick. They answered my question. Really easy, fantastic service. Squarespace have nothing to patch or upgrade. They even let you quickly and easily grab a great and unique domain name, and they have everything you need for SEO and email marketing as well. You can use Squarespace to turn your big idea into a new website, showcase your work with their incredible portfolio designs, publish your next blog post, to promote your business, announce an upcoming event, and so much more. I think I've used Squarespace but basically every single one of those things. It really is an amazing platform. Go to squarespace.com upgrade for a free trial today with no credit card required. And when you're ready to launch, use the offer code upgrade to save 10% off your first purchase of a website or domain. That's squarespace.com upgrade and then the offer code upgrade to get 10% off your first purchase. Our thanks to Squarespace for their support of this show and all of Relay FM.
1: Oh, Mike, there's so much Apple news. So much Apple news. Music is about to change forever. Like it did when the Beatles came onto iTunes. Remember that? That was a day I'll never forget. That you'll never forget, Jason. Never forget
0: it. No. It was been rumored over the last couple of weeks that there was going to be some kind of high resolution audio tier or something. And there was this is kind of strange. The night before Apple announced it, they put a little teaser in Apple Music saying, Music is about to change forever. Yeah. Um, I was like, oh, okay, it's coming, it's coming. And then within, I don't know, 12 hours or so, we got a press release. Uh, but I don't really know what to call this. They haven't
1: really given it a name. No, higher, higher quality music tiers uh, or music content available within Apple Music because it's not an extra tier. It's not going to cost anything extra. I think what we would say is uh, and I wrote a piece about this in MacWorld in February, and I totally mm-hmm. nailed it. I just want to say that I got yep, it exactly right because Spotify announced the high quality tier, and it left Apple alone as the only one that didn't do a high quality tier. And I thought, well, you know, that's not going to do it. But then I thought about their spatial audio stuff, and I thought, well, what they really should do is lean into doing some some multi channel spatial audio kind of audio uh, content because that's nice. That's I I have some. You know, five point one albums. I've got like five or six of these DVDs that are albums mixed in in multi-channel, and they sound great. Um, and I thought, well, with the with the spatial audio stuff Apple's been doing with with uh, movies, they could do that with music too. And that's exactly what they did. So it's um, it's spatial audio with support for Dolby Atmos. My understanding is, you know, on an Apple TV, if you if you've got a, a Dolby Atmos system on attached to your Apple TV and you play this music, once this launches, you know, you're going to get full surround music which i think is really cool um but they're also doing um various levels of lossless which is interesting yep. they're gonna do they're gonna do lossless using apple lossless uh which starts at the cd quality 16 bit 44.1 but they they say up to 24 bit at 48 kilohertz and you can opt you have to opt in because it eats so much bandwidth but they have a super high quality. 24 bit 192 kilohertz and you actually have to attach an external a usb dac a digital audio converter in order to get that mm-hmm. because otherwise you couldn't hear it because apple's dac doesn't support just that too, level too much. of quality
0: so if you're federico
1: you're fine if you're federico this is perfect for a high quality audio fan like federico i
0: can't wait for connected this week <laughs> he's gonna be so excited
1: it's gonna be federico mania on connected uh-huh. this week so <laughs> I think this is cool. Again, I think yeah. a lot of people can't tell um, the difference between lossless and not, but some people can. And Apple just offering it and saying, "Yeah, if you want to listen to it that way, you can." I think is really good. There are certain circumstances. I think the spatial audio you really can tell, and it's it's beautiful. It's not, you know, it's not for everybody, and it's a different kind of experience. But I can say for the handful of 5.1 uh, audio DVDs that I I have, I don't listen to them that often. Unfortunately, because it's just the the workflow isn't great. I'm hoping all of those will also eventually get in there. Everybody's rustling through their catalogs of music for anything that's multi-channel so that they can put it out here. Mm-hmm. But I love it. Um, listening in my home theater where I've got stereo speakers, a center channel, and two rear channels is all I've got. I don't have a whole Dolby Atmos setup, but. Um, you know, you end up with the vocals isolated on the center speaker, and then you've got uh, instruments left, right, and then you've got more instruments rear, left, and right, and it's like you're inside the music. It's you even a familiar album sounds totally different, partly because it's been mixed for multi-channel, but partly because you can hear things you just couldn't hear before. Yeah. Because now every speaker is playing a different portion of Separated. whatever it is you're listening to. It's it's really good. And I've got what? I've got the first Crowded House album. I've got a Glenn Phillips album. I've got the Beatles, uh Giles Martin did that five point one mix of a bunch of Beatles songs for the the Cirque du Soleil show? Oh, the love,
0: love, yeah, that's
1: a great. And album. it sounds it sounds amazing. And then there's he's done several other Beatles albums in in uh, multi channel that sound great. So maybe if we're lucky, we'll get that one. Yeah, well, that, that it, and it'll be a day we never forget. <laughs> um, so the and the, some there are some services that have done multi channel uh, so far, but Apple is going to be really i think apple's weight will really drive this this, in in the music industry and getting these things into the catalogs and i'm i'm curious i i actually kind of wonder i don't know if this was detailed all they said was that it'll work with all beats and apple devices that have the h1 or w1 this is really interesting
0: so apple have said in the press release dolby atmos will play by default on all devices of a h1 or w1 chip As well as using built in speakers on other devices.
1: Right, like the iPad Pro has the four speaker system and all of that. Yeah, right.
0: Right now, spatial audio is only available on AirPods Max and AirPods Pro. Yeah. So I don't know Mm -hmm. what that's going to be like. Is it going to be different quality? Are they going to bring spatial audio to all of the H1 and W1 products?
1: My guess is yes. Yeah. And my guess is that it's even more than that. Because my understanding, and again, we'll find out more. As this rolls out. But my understanding is that the current Bluetooth implementation for Apple's wireless headphones won't generate lossless quality audio. It's compressing it. So, one question I have is Is Apple going to do a firmware update for H1 and W1 chip headphones that enables a higher quality? audio stream for our for certain apple hardware right like have they been holding in their back pocket a lossless or at least less lossy bluetooth mode that it's all part of that you know apple AirPod secret sauce mm-hmm. stuff. Like i I wouldn't put it past them, but it is also possible that if you're really gonna want this, you're gonna want it on wired headphones. And you know, there's an argument that the AirPods aren't gonna really benefit and from they all
0: use in their own codec, and that might be why. Right? So yeah. they, they so may well, have done
1: that. Right. Is there a is there an Apple lossless stream that's possible? Can do they have the bandwidth to do that? I don't I don't know. But it, it, it this is gonna be complex. There are gonna be different things on different devices. But um, but yeah, I would imagine. Like, I'm looking forward to listening to to multi-channel interpreted by AirPods Pro, yep. which I listen with because I think that'll be kind of a fun thing. But I think in a lot of cases you're going to have lossless audio via plug-in, really high quality plug-in headphones, uh, perhaps depending on the level through a, a an outboard, you know, USB DAC. Uh, whether it's on a Mac or an iPad or whatever, just to get the highest quality if you want the super high quality. And then, like I said, I'm also really thinking that this can be a great thing for music listening in an Apple TV setup where you've got really, if you've got really good speakers that do surround, whether it's a soundbar or a full-on surround system, that's actually a pretty great place to experience music that is uh, multi-channel. So there's lots of of different things here that this is not one announcement, right? It's like many different moving parts for different devices it's two different things yeah and that is worth
0: remembering the lossless audio and the spatial audio are two parts of apple music now
1: and the lossless is three different levels yeah. of it including one you have to opt in for that ha- that is mandatory that you have to have an external DAC to l- use so yeah. it's and then you've got the H1W1 chip thing where what's that look like and all that. Mm-hmm. This is obviously going to be in a release that comes out around WWDC, right? And into the next release of the current version of the OS. That's what they'll do to roll this out. But I'm excited by it. Yeah, it's yeah. 14.6, which it will
0: yeah. be coming in June. I guess it will yeah. be probably be the last major 14 release. Uh, and that. So there is a potential that not too long after this episode comes out, maybe there's a beta that actually has it. You know, that, that might not be, uh, that might be something that happens. You know, it's also worth just, again, like the way that they're rolling this out is different. So the lossless audio, they're putting out millions of tracks. And by the end of right. the year, it will be all 75 million songs will be, they'll have lossless audio for. The spatial audio is going to be thousands of songs at launch. They're going to be updating right. previous tracks, and then new stuff's going to be coming in, and they're going to keep rolling it out, and also doing like playlists and sections inside of Apple Music to highlight the the the, the best kind of experiences for spatial audio.
1: Ian in the Discord says that that Apple confirmed that bluetooth streaming streams ac and so you know you won't get lossless on on that i i had kind of hoped that they would have a uh, especially for airpods max they would have a story for that
0: this is what they've said right now i'm still holding out hope okay. like you said they could they could do something
1: there's like a rabbit that they could pull out of their hat for some know. of their devices i don't know it would be really silly if airpods max didn't support high quality audio unless you plugged in a cable but yeah i also understand it because the whole infrastructure of bluetooth audio streaming is not built around high quality mm-hmm. audio because it's you got to stream a lot of data, and that kills your battery. And it may be, and the way that I'm thinking about it,
0: I think for most people, a really good implementation of spatial audio will be more of a fun experience than lossless. And I think that that's probably what they're going to bet on—that the spatial I audio th- experience on AirPods true. Max is going to be the best one because they have more control there, and I bet that it's going to sound fantastic. And I would expect that that's probably what Apple's betting on. Yeah, the space gray peripherals that were introduced with the iMac Pro, so the Magic Mouse, Magic Trackpad, and Magic Keyboard. They've all been discontinued. They're being sold on the Apple mm-hmm. Store now while supplies last, which was the same as the iMac Pro.
1: However, I went to the Mac Pro page today, and it says that when you buy a Mac Pro, you will still get your peripherals in silver and black.
0: Yeah, they're kind of different, aren't they? Because they're, they're, they're silver with the black accents, but the iMac Pro it was just all space gray.
1: Yeah, so I guess they're reducing... This is, this is so transparent. Right. Mm -hmm. Like they're clearing this out of the pipeline because they've got those seven different colors of or sorry, six colors and then silver uh, of the magic products from the iMac. Right. Mm -hmm. And those are clearly going to ultimately be available. I mean, how could they not be? I would I would think, especially since they've got a a touch ID uh, thing. So, uh, yeah, I would think that they're just turning all of this over. Um I also would think that if they, you know, if they do a color scheme that is not the bright color scheme for uh iMac Pro kind of thing or a high-end iMac that they would do the color matching for those too. So this feels to me more like they're just kind of clearing out the old thing. And then making way for the new thing. I would I would be surprised actually if like the regular Magic Keyboard isn't doesn't look like the one that comes with the iMac the low end iMacs right. It's those it's got curved edges and stuff that aren't there in the regular ones. So clearly the keyboards are turning over, and this is the first step there is they're getting rid of this this uh, bespoke uh, space gray one. So if you want a space gray peripheral, get it now.
0: I just hope it means there's a new iMac Pro coming. That's just like the thing that I'm. Fingers crossed on. There was a yeah. report that the MacBook Pros could potentially be delayed to 2022. I choose to reject this report personally because I just don't want to believe that it's true that they're being delayed. So I choose to reject that reality and mm-hmm. substitute with my own, which is that we're going to get new MacBook Pros and iMac Pros in two weeks' time. Or <laughs> that's, that's what I have decided to believe, and we will see in the future. While we're on that note about color, So we spoke about the potential colors coming for the MacBook Air to replicate Mm -hmm. the iMac. So John Prosser has now released some renders based on the information that he received. And uh, this this were also published on Mac Rumors. So the renders are kind of suggesting that we'll get on the MacBook Air. iMac colors, flat edges, as you would obviously expect, because that's Apple design now. No taper. So it's kind of like a thinner MacBook Pro, right? Mm -hmm. Because the MacBook Pro has no taper. It's just that that kind of like slab, basically. The keyboard will be white with full-sized function keys, like the iMacs keyboard.
1: It's been a long time since there were full-sized function keys on a... Yep on an Apple uh, laptop. That's so
0: that seems to have squished down the size of the trackpad a bit, which is a peculiar mm. thing. So I'm not sure about that myself, that part.
1: It does feel like this is, I think what he said is that they got this from somebody who had seen the aluminum parts. Yeah. <laughs> so, and only only from certain angles. So this is a, this is there's a lot of extrapolation going mm-hmm. on here.
0: The bottom though, super intriguing to me. Instead of the little circular feet in the corners, two long vertical rubber feet down each side of the device, I think it looks kind of yeah, cool.
1: Looks, looks like the bottom of a magic mouse, except presumably not meant to slide around. but yep. actually hold it. You'd hope so. Hold it steady. The exact yeah.
0: opposite. It's designed similarly. Exact opposite. Uh, and then the obviously the bezel is that white gray uh, color. So
1: from the from the iMac for twenty four. Yeah. So yeah, I mean what we said last week still goes for me. Which is, and I wrote about this in Macworld World this or last week too. Which is um, I if this is a MacBook replacing the MacBook air, it's, you know, I think, and then that's a marketing decision, what they call it. But if this is that, um, I'm intrigued by it. I think the idea that Apple is going to roll out the color scheme of the 24 inch iMac across, uh, other parts of its product line kind of makes sense and to make them sort of consistent. So it wouldn't, uh, it wouldn't shock me if this is what they're doing. So yeah, more color, I say. Yeah.
0: And, uh, uh, and fingers crossed for this on everything. I'll, so I'd,
1: take, I'd take an orange MacBook Air or MacBook yeah, or whatever. That'd be really oh fun. Oh my God. Mm-hmm. It's going to be
0: weird when I think I'll probably start making different purchasing decisions based on the colors available on the computer, right? Do I go MacBook Air or a MacBook Pro because I can get an orange one? <laughs> you know what I mean? That's going to be a very weird time, but I consider it a possibility,
1: honestly. Yeah, well, th- this is the danger. I mean, I have a, an iphone 12 mini um for similar reasons though though like the danger of having your pro colors be boring or non-existent and your non-pro colors be fun is that you may be inducing people who might otherwise give you more money if you're apple to give you less money because they also want the fun so that's the that's the danger there do a good job please we'll be very happy
0: this episode is brought to you by Uni Pizza Ovens, the world's number one pizza oven company. So they make surprisingly small ovens that are powered by your choice of either wood, charcoal, or gas, letting you make restaurant quality pizza in your very own backyard. Because Uni Pizza Ovens are not only easy to use, they're incredibly portable too. They're going to fit into any outside space. And they can reach temperatures of up to 900 degrees Fahrenheit, 500 degrees Celsius. This is going to enable you to cook restaurant quality pizza in as little as 60 seconds. That high temperature is what separates an uni pizza oven from a regular oven to really give you that excellent quality cook. The most popular models uh, is the the, one of the most popular models, I should say, is the Unicoda 16. This is a gas powered oven that will let you cook up to 16-inch pizzas, and has an innovative L-shaped burner at the back to give you even heat distribution. Uni Pizza Ovens start at just $299, and they're free shipping to the US, UK, and EU. As well as the Unicoda 16, one of their other most popular models is the Unicaru, which can use wood, charcoal, or gas to cook your pizza. They also have a great app as well to help perfect your dough recipe and give you loads of pizza-making tips. Uh, I will now turn over to resident Pizzolio, I think that's how you say it, I probably butchered mm. that word, Jason Snell of the El Crate Podcast. Uh, Jason, tell our listeners why the uni gives you a really great pizza experience.
1: Well, it is hot in there. It gets hot. very, very hot, hotter than your oven inside can get, which is why you should do this outside where, uh you know. You're not going to set anything on fire because it's like 700 degrees Fahrenheit in there. Um, but that means you get the sort of, sort of scorched edges and the bubbly top and the, uh, the pizza cooks uh, through and gets all crispy. And like it's just it's much more like what you would get in a wood fired pizza oven at a at a an actual pizza maker, except at home. And that's what I like about it. So you should go check it
0: out for yourself right now and listeners to this show can get 10% off their purchase of an Uni pizza oven. Just go to uni.com. that's O-O-N-I.com and use the code OoniUpgrade21 at checkout. While you're there, you'll also find a great range of accessories from peels to cutters to oven tables. Everyone's making pizza at home right now or everybody wants to and it's beginning into those warm summer months. Uni pizza ovens are the perfect tool for the job and they are in incredibly high demand. So if you want one, go right now Uni Pizza Ovens are the best way to bring restaurant-quality pizza to your own backyard. Go to uni.com and use the code UNIUPGRADE21, that's O-O-N-I-U-P-G-R-A-D-E-2-1, for 10% off. Thanks to Uni Pizza Ovens for their support of this show and Relay FM. Let's do some hashtag ask upgrade questions. First one comes from Anjay, who asks, Based on the early impressions, do you think that the Bridge 12.9 Max Plus will be a better buy than the Apple Magic Keyboard. We have not spoke about this product at all. Um, Bridge, we've spoke about them many times on the show, have a new type of keyboard. It's called the Max Plus. I don't think they had a Max before. I don't know why they now have a Plus for the Max, but um, um, it's a different kind of layout for them, which I actually like. They've basically made kind of a laptop without the screen. So they've actually got a back case to it now. So the iPad Pro sits in it with magnets as opposed to using those little clamps that you would slide it into. And so overall, you get this aluminium shell, which has got the whole kind of keyboard built into it. Bridge are now saying that their trackpads are comparable with Apple's trackpad with its gestures and stuff. They have new firmware for some of their stuff and they've uh, got a, a page on their website which shows all the available gestures. If they're able to do what they're saying they're able to do with this firmware that they've got upcoming, then it this looks very intriguing as compared to a Magic Keyboard. It's
1: $249. What do you think? Um, well, we talked about it here before, so I'll just say it again. Apple's trackpad firmware is without compare. They've spent decades refining it on their laptops and then with the Magic trackpad on desktops as well. And um, third party trackpad experiences on iPad OS are not as good. Mm-hmm. Um, Bridges is as good as the other third party cases, like what is it? Uh, Logitech? Logitech that, yeah. that's got some iPad cases with trackpad and that Apple has promoted. Um, and i'll just say that even though apple has promoted those and mentioned those in press releases apple has not given them the magic firmware Mm -hmm. (laughs) they are still not quite as good their their gestures aren't quite as good i think that there's hope that they could get better over time as they improve the uh the firmware but um i could not in good conscience say that the any third-party trackpad, not just Bridge, any third-party trackpad is as good as Apple's. Apple's is best in class. Mm-hmm. Apple's Magic Keyboard also costs a lot of money, and this case uh, is a lot less. So I think that's really the trade-off: is you get something that magnetically attaches. I used a uh, a pre-production version of this briefly, um, and it you know it snaps on with magnets, which is really nice. It gives you that full. Uh, full laptop feel that even the magic trackpad doesn't quite give you because it's got the little cantilever thing going on. Um, The keyboard's nice. The trackpad is big and good, but uh, what you're losing is that Apple's trackpad feels exactly like Apple's trackpad feels on all Mac laptops or with the magic trackpad on Mac desktops. It's the same experience. And, the third party trackpads aren't. They're they're a little bit lesser. They're mm-hmm. they're not terrible. Um, they're okay. They're they're fine. But if you're somebody who has completely internalized Apple's trackpad and, and uses it that way, uh, everywhere you go, like me, it's harder to switch to this. That said, you can't really beat the price. It's uh it's remarkable because the you know, the, the truth is that the magic trackpad is is for iPad is a very pricey accessory. Well,
0: I will say, there is only $50
1: difference now. Yeah, that's true.
0: Like, it's cheaper, but the this bridge is more
1: expensive than previous bridge keyboards. Yeah, it is. It is. And it's a much larger trackpad, which yep. is good.
0: And you have different function keys and stuff. Well, actually, you have function keys.
1: Right. There's function keys. And a lot of people didn't like the clip approach that the bridge mm-hmm. old bridge keyboards had, which I liked. I thought it was fine. But this one doesn't have that. Instead, it's snapping in magnetically. Um But yeah, you know, honestly, it's about the ergonomics of it, but I just, I I have to be honest and say, even though I've supported Bridges uh, products over the years, um, the trackpad stuff just isn't as good as Apple's because Apple, Apple's trackpad firmware is just the best. That's bottom line is it's the best. And then every now and then with a bridge trackpad, I will, or the, the Logitech one, I will make a gesture or something and it will like my click won't be registered or the gesture won't be quite right. And that's just because I have, I have developed a trackpad using style that works with apple's firmware right and then you take that out of the equation and you start asking yourself a lot of questions about like where do i put my fingers and when do i click and all of that Um, i'll also say you can train yourself to use third-party trackpad firmware and have it work just fine and then if you go back to apple's trackpad with that style it'll also work just fine it's just that in my in my particular case um there are things that i do on apple trackpads that do not work on third party trackpad firmware and so for me it was frustrating to have to have to switch cuz i had to like more uh i'd be more aware of what i was doing with my fingers in order to get the the pointer to go where it needs to go and the clicks to happen the way i needed them to happen
0: and also i think the thing that's going to be important really is waiting for reviews like this product i don't think it's been reviewed anywhere yet i agree with what you're saying right but you want to see how it performs
1: yeah like i said i i used a pre-production model and it seems to perform pretty much like the other bridge keyboards perform uh, which is it's a good keyboard um it is bluetooth not so you have to pair and and uh so that's different as well it's not using the smart connector um but it's It's of a similar quality to other bridge products. It's it's you know and except it's big and it's got a big trackpad and that's really nice. It's going to give you a real thirteen inch MacBook Pro feel on your um, iPad Pro. It's just that um, the trackpad's not quite the same. So that that's a choice that people are going to have to make between looking at something like this or spending a little bit more money and going for the full on first party experience.
0: Ryan asks, some software like BB Edit is available in both the Mac App Store for a subscription and is available from the developer directly with paid upgrades. Which of these scenarios do you prefer for your software?
1: I'd say it varies. I like, I, I use them both in mm-hmm. different contexts with different tools, and I don't really have a preference. I think that in the end, I am paying a software developer regularly for the apps that I use regularly, and that's the most important thing. I you know i don't i don't want to say that people who hate subscriptions are wrong because i get why they don't like them that said i'm not sure that using software software that you rely on maybe maybe for stuff that you don't care about but software that you rely on you probably want to stay on the current version and you know, if you don't stay on the current version, you play the game where you ride one version for three years, and then you do an upgrade. Um, first off, the upgrade pricing kind of gets you away from that, right? Where it's like, if it's the latest version, your upgrade pricing is less. So they they kind of try to game you there. But also, you're mm-hmm. not supporting the the makers of that software. So I, I've seen it both ways. Um, I've you know, BB Edit. I I've seen as like, well, it's just pay for the upgrade when basically you pay when they ask you to. They they feel like they've made enough of a of a change since the last time they asked that they come to you and say, uh, we would like you to pay again. And it does not a renew and you have to choose to pay. And if you don't pay, you still stay on the old version. So it still works. Like there's a lot to be said for that. Um, but I also pay for Photoshop and Microsoft Office.
0: I prefer the subscription model.
1: And, it, and I just know that I always have it and it's always the latest version. And there's a lot to be said for that it's too. It's
0: less of a thing for me to think about Right? Like, I don't have to... Yeah. Like, do I want to buy this version? And then also, a lot of apps that I use that have moved to subscription, they give me more features more frequently rather than trying to collect them all up and then offer it to me in a package. Plus, as a customer, I mean, I know that, like what i say and i still say this like for people you know it's a shame that i don't think apple should take 30% off of all these developers i think it should be less but nevertheless as a customer i like buying things from the mac app store because then they're just available mm-hmm. on all my machines and i don't have to keep codes in one part. like i don't have to you know it's just easy but
1: here's the thing you can get microsoft office uh, on and i think can you get adobe stuff on there i don't know if you can but like but i'm not paying apple for my photoshop or microsoft office subscriptions i'm paying them yep. directly Yep. So they're they're getting the money directly from that yep. subscription. I'm not even using it in the Mac App store. store for that. Mm-hmm. Um which if you do it through the Mac App Store, it's thirty percent for the first year and then it's fifteen percent after that. No, BB Edit, you know, they their software model doesn't work in the App Store. And you will pay a premium in the App Store for a BB Edit subscription, by the way. Like mm-hmm. it's you'll you'll end up spending more money. But for some people, uh that's fine. They just want it in the Mac App Store and that's fine. Um, I always try to seek out a way to pay the developer directly if I can. I will say that's a preference, but um, I don't necessarily have a preference about subscription versus not. There are a lot of convenient things about, like Mike said, about having a subscription. There's just an awful, like, am I ever going to stop using Photoshop? Probably not. Probably not. Am I ever going to stop using Excel? Probably not. I know there are alternatives. I have the alternatives, but probably not. I'm probably going to keep spending 100 bucks a year to each of those giant companies so that their software always is on my computer and my tablets and my phones and I can always use it and it's always there. Like, I'm just, it's fine. Like, I'm I'm perfectly happy to do it that way and, and to have that the convenience and uh, confidence to know that it's just always there. Also you could argue that having a, an ongoing revenue stream is better for software development as well, because you don't with, you don't have like artificial um, saving a bunch of features for the next big version. Cause you need to use it to sell copies. It just sort of smooths like the Photoshop releases are just, they're just releases like every quarter, a new release comes out. They, they don't mm-hmm. save it up for two years and then do a big, you know, amazing uh, marketing feature laden release in order to sell copies. That was a distortion of software in a lot of ways for marketing purposes that is a lot less present when you're doing a subscription.
0: Brian asks, do you think Spotify's more magnanimous podcast subscription offering uh, could be because they don't want to give Apple a comeback on the monopoly ruling? If they were locking podcasts and forcing podcasters to give them money for using the Spotify app this would be exactly what they are arguing Apple is doing with the App Store. I'll give a bit of background in here to catch people up because they don't remember. This is talking about like the differences between Spotify's podcast subscriptions where you can pay and Apple's podcast subscriptions where you can pay. Because Spotify's whole thing is you can pay and it can be in Spotify and it's easy, but they'll also give a public RSS feed so you can get them anywhere. And Apple was like, you get them in Apple podcasts and that's that. So Brian's kind of asking like, is is this like a from spotify as in a sense like they're doing it this way because then they either can use this as a way to say apple is being more controlling or to say like look how much different we are my kind of question on this would be is maybe maybe spotify just believed that the business should be done this way like i don't think it has to be a are they doing this because they're being sneaky you know I, i feel like that that there's like a I don't know. It's also in the same episode where we're talking about buying up another big popular show, so it's kind of complicated. Um, What do you think?
1: I think podcasting is like... I think it contains multitudes, and I think Mm -hmm. Spotify knows that. Spotify wants to make money always, right? They want to make money from podcasts that are open, and they want to make money from podcasts that are in Spotify. And uh, so I don't think... I mean, who knows? It seems unlikely to me that Spotify is launching major business efforts uh, because they don't want to look a certain way, maybe in a particular court yep. or regulation case. That seems really like a stretch. Yep. And I think it's more likely is the obvious scenario, which is this is an additional way for Spotify to make money, which is through, through ads, through, their, uh, through Anchor, right? Mm-hmm. Like that kind of thing. Like there's, it's all about. Well, for the subscriptions through anchor, right? Like, or, or yeah. yeah, or through the subscriptions through anchor or like, right. Sorry. I'm, I'm there's two different things here. There's mm-hmm. ad, there's ad insertion and then there's money that comes in and they get, they, you know, it's, it's a way to do money. And then it's within. And, and the other thing is think about this. Uh, Spotify wants you to use their app, but their app doesn't support your favorite podcast that has a subscription model. So you can't use Spotify's app. Well, by enabling the ability to do that, what are you doing? You're reducing the barrier to switching to Spotify as your podcast app. Benefit to Spotify. Everything Spotify does is because they see a tangible benefit to their business, to do it. I don't think the tangible benefit is kind of trying to game some sort of image viewed by a, you know, somebody who's making a judgment. I just don't think that's what they're doing here at all. So no, I guess that's my answer is no, I don't think that.
0: If you would like to send in a question for us to answer on the show, just send out a tweet with the hashtag AskUpgrade or use question mark AskUpgrade in the Relay FM members Discord, which you get access to if you uh, sign up for Upgrade+. Plus. Go to getupgradeplus.com. You can sign up right now and you'll also get longer ad-free episodes of Upgrade and access to our wonderful members crossover special, which we'll be playing in a trailer for right at the very end. Of this show today. Before we go, Jason, can you tell our listeners about another show here on Relay FM?
1: Sure. This is a, a change of pace that I think you might like. It's Make Do, which is uh, about maybe turning your hobbies into something a little bit more. Uh, they're ready to be your cheerleader. This is Tiff Arment and Julia Scott, and they're they're doing hobbies and maybe putting on art shows and. Doing other stuff with uh, the things that they make. It's fun. It is different from a lot of the Relay FM shows, I think, in a good way. Go to relay.fm/slash make do, M-A-K-E-D-O, or just search for make do wherever you get your podcasts. If you'd like to find Jason online,
0: you can go to sixcolors.com, and he is at jsnell on Twitter, J-S-N-E-L-L. I am at imike, I-M-Y-K-E. Thank you so much to our sponsors this week, Uni, Squarespace, DoorDash, and thank you for listening. We'll be back next time. Until then, say goodbye, Jason Snell. Goodbye, everybody.
2: Our story begins with three mild-mannered podcasters heading out for a beverage at the local tavern. Little do these three know that they are not about to enter the familiar doors of the old badger and thistle, but are about to be whisked across time and space. Probably going to need to have some uh, ID if you're looking to get far in this world.
3: Spit, my friends, they're without proper identification, you know, where can I help them get some ID?
2: Sounds like you need to go to the Department of Misplaced Persons.
1: So, I'm going to apply the Newton effect, my special shtick, and I'm going to try to make the infinity of this building
2: drop away to something that would be actually in a building. Alright, suddenly it is like an earthquake, a great trembling, all the rats look up, and giant kind of steel girders, erupt from the ground the ceiling seems to kind of lower as the girders rise to meet it from the horizon walls start to close in but it's like a tsunami of architecture
3: wait a second everyone jason just changed the freaking world (laughs) like the whole world rotated around us obviously this is some kind of simulation that we're living in and or jason is a god Look, we're not getting anywhere without our phones, That's so I'm true. going to happily insert my phone into the mysterious space slot. You
2: insert your phone into the mysterious space slot, it makes some sounds kind of like a 1960s computer, and then a panel on the front of the dispensing machine opens up, and a little display prompts you to put your hand into that slot.
3: <laughs> sure. I'm ha- you know what? We're not getting anywhere without phones, so yes, I, w- I will yep. do whatever the machine wants.
2: little shield drops down with a little circle kind of holding your wrist in place. And then there's a sound, kind of like a giant stapler. Your hand is warm. Your phone seems to be now somewhat embedded in your hand. Can you just remind the listeners what the John Doe effect does? It
3: says that I have one of those faces where people constantly think they recognize me as an old co-worker or long-lost cousin childhood friend etc. You may also be mistaken for someone who owes money slash is wanted dead or alive, etc. Hey,
2: Calvin, it's me!
3: Oh, right. Hi. The large orangutan person kind of bolts up from
2: the bench, sending the bench kind of shifting back. A large orangutan person has grabbed both of your arms and is attempting to pull them off of your body let's just make a quick strength check here
3: i rolled a six so six plus four is ten which is not enough
2: i am going to tell you that you are going to take three points of damage your arm is really badly hurt and you are not feeling great the horrible orangutan thing is kind of growling in your face you are drawing the attention of several rats when the seam on your voluminous pocket gives out and cheese starts pouring out of a hole in your jumpsuit onto the floor of the office. Several rats are giving you scandalous looks, Jason. I
1: pretend like nothing has happened and continue moving toward the mailroom, wheeling my bucket.
0: Will our heroes ever get the documents that they need to return to their normal lives? Will Jason stop tormenting space rats? Will Grey's arm heal? or the worst things lie ahead for him? Find out by going to getupgradeplus.com and sign up today.